Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, everybody, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Today on The Breakdown, House Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi joins us here at KQED to talk about everything happening in the world right now, including the war between Hamas and Israel, and the problems House Republicans are having electing a new speaker. Yeah, in fact, those problems are continuing. And Marisa, we originally had this conversation with Nancy Pelosi scheduled for Tuesday of this week, and we had to move it to Monday because she had to be back in D.C. And of course, we this was all set up months ago. We had no idea everything that was being happening, including the war uh, between Israel and Hamas. So it was, uh, you know, there was so much to talk about. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who I'm pretty sure never takes a day off, even Pelosi seemed like it had been quite a week or two, right? I mean, you know, there was obviously Senator Dianne Feinstein's death, the kind of, you know. Emotional impact on yeah, her. Yeah, the outpouring and, and all of the things that I think Pelosi wanted to be and, and felt that she should be at around that, the appointment of LaFonza Butler to the Senate, and then, as you said, this kind of mess in the House, which, you know, just... It was interesting watching her because she's definitely in her element in a way now that she was not when she was the leader of the Democrats. Yeah, well, she's like uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, unshackled in a way. I mean, she, she she's cut loose from having to represent the entire caucus. And now she's from, quote unquote, liberal San Francisco. She can really speak her mind. Uh, unplugged is the word I was looking for. But she very much is plugged in to everything. And it does. You do wonder, like, yes, Hakeem Jeffries is the, uh, you know, the minority leader. But you've got to think they're on the phone quite regularly talking about strategy and, you know, how to play certain things. Um, And, you know, the caucus came out very united against helping uh, Kevin McCarthy hold on to the speakership. Uh, Seven Republicans uh, kind of uh, bailed on him. And, uh, you know, it it was interesting to hear her thoughts on why didn't Democrats help McCarthy. Uh, I know, but you say she's unplugged, but she's still Pelosi. And like, let's be clear, you will hear this again and again. Pelosi says what Pelosi wants. Like, there's no, there are many times where she just sort of like heard our question and kind of came back to it later. But she definitely um, is very much in sort of charge of her faculties when it comes to talking to the press and knowing when she would and wouldn't make news. For example, when we pushed her on, look, you know, at the time it, it was a real contest between Jim Jordan, who was more of a sort of MAGA extremist Republican, Freedom and Caucus. Steve Scalise, who is also, I think, in past years would have been considered a pretty hard right guy. But in these days, it's more of an establishment Republican. And, you know, I think 
she made very clear she did not want to weigh in on that, saying, why would I help them? Like, yeah, she was, or, or hurt them yeah, by right. saying I like yeah, them. As if you know, saying something nice might actually hurt them. Uh, although I think it's, it was pretty clear reading between the lines. She does not think much of uh, Jim Jordan, who founded the, the Freedom Caucus. But I'm sure she's not buddies with Scalise, although they are both Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, so she didn't ma- bite on that either. She didn't bite on that one. But um, yeah, so you know, all these things, I guess, are going to emerge. And then, of course, you know, McCarthy has kind of offered himself up uh, if they can't, you know, get the votes for either Scalise or Jordan. I can't really see that happening. But who knows? Uh, they right now, because clearly, although they, you know, Scalise had a, a plurality of the votes or a majority of the caucus, he's nowhere near the 218 he needs to win. Yeah. I mean, I will say, too, one of the things you also hear, I, I think Pelosi has really um mastered this ability that's very rare, I think, for women in politics to both be very confident without sounding sort of braggadocious. And so at one point, you know, you you say you've called yourself a master legislator. She's like, yeah. I have, you know, but it, and, and there was it. a couple other funny moments like that um, when, you know, uh, we'll get to this next week because we actually have a second episode with her out of this, but asking her about the future of her congressional seat. Um, her daughter, Christine, who's rumored to want to run, was sitting in the front row, kind of kind of egging her on the whole time. So, um, you know, I just think she again, it, it was clear that she was sort of enjoying some of the politics of what's going on, not having to be in the driver's yeah, seat. She came dressed in like a lavender uh, pantsuit, looked very comfortable. Um, and so, as you said, this, we're going to be hearing uh, in just a moment the first, not not exactly the first half, but half of the interview. And then next week, she'll be talking more about LaFonza Butler, uh, the thoughts about that Senate seat, which we still don't know at this as we speak right here today, whether LaFonza Butler is going to run for the six-year uh, full term. We also talked a little bit uh, about Paul Pelosi, her husband, who was with her at the memorial uh for Senator Feinstein. And, uh, you know, it's she said a little bit more about him uh, that, than she has in the past. And I think, as I said, we'll hear more of that next week. Um, and then a little revelation, thanks to Mark Baraback from the L.A. Times. We yeah. asked her about her apparent uh, fondness for the Grateful Dead. I mean... Just color me shocked. If there was a band I would have thought that Nancy Pelosi would be in, too, it would not have been the Grateful Dead. But she's been to many concerts, including the allegedly final one of, you know, one of many final dead concerts. Um, she was referring to Bobby. I was like, that's got to be Bob Weir. She goes, oh, yeah, Bobby. Oh, yeah, Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> and, you know, gave a shout out to you two as well um, and did clear up a rumor. Apparently, Paul Pelosi does not actually do her shopping. Yeah, that was uh, there. That, that's been out there in the ether, Ethernet, Internet for a long time. But, yeah, she does her own shopping. Um, yeah, so we're going to hear all of that. And uh, then, as, as you said, tune in next week for the second part of this uh, conversation. She's, you know, 83 years old, but, you know, very clearly uh, in charge of, uh, you know, the, the sort of the environment that she excels Brushed in, which is the arena. The arena. Brushed them off. Yeah, she did. But she said she's ready to go. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to hear... Our conversation with Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. 
The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Please welcome Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi. All right. Well, what are we going to talk about tonight? So... <laughs> what has changed? We know that you and Mayor Breed uh, yesterday, I believe, were yes. uh, at a rally in support of Israel. Uh, obviously, there's a terrible war that's underway right now. Hundreds have died on both sides. And we're wondering, first of all, just since this is at the top of the news, what do you see as the most short-term implications of all this? Well, thank you. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you all for being here with the change of date. That's always... Uh, uh, well, it's the life I lead. Uh, <laughs> when we accepted the invitation, I'm so honored to be with all of you. Whenever that was, what, two weeks ago or something? Longer? Months. We can't M- remember. Months. Uh, yeah, okay, after, well, just after, in the last but... 10 days, we lost our dear Diane. The invasion of Israel, so horrible. And, of course, the confusion on the other side of the aisle. <laughs> this, um, yesterday, we were at... A temple uh, was a big outpouring of support uh, for Israel. Uh, also, I was able to say that um, Mike Pappas was there, head of the Interfaith Council, and he said that that Christians, Catholics, everyone, every religion was mourning for the Israelis and sending their support. This is something so tragic. You know, there are many injustices in the world, one thing and another, but there is no excuse for the barbaric violence that was, uh, uh, we saw happen in Israel. I had a friend whose niece, grand, whose niece was killed, her husband was killed, and the ba- their infant baby were killed. Their little children, other little children they had hid in a closet and they were later rescued. But what the barbaric nature of that, there's no, it's, some people say it's unforgivable. I don't like to think that anything is unforgivable, but it's very close to unforgivable that that would, that that would happen. So when you say, where do we go from here? We always have to see everything as an opportunity to see how we can bring people together. This is really hard. And we're hard because we don't, we'll see what happens in the, in the uh, violence that appears to be continuing. When you say it's hard, what do you mean? Well, when human life is taken in a way, you know, again, our con- there are countries that are at war. I, have, I feel the same way about Putin in uh, Ukraine, just kidnapping children killing and raping women. I don't know if the rape is happening in Israel, but that's what's happening in Ukraine. There's no, uh, that's using 
violence against civilians as a weapon of war. Don't be a coward. You want to go for war? Fight militarily. That's not something we love. But don't take it out on the children, the moms, the families. Here they kidnapped. You can see them kidnapping little children, 80-year-old grandmoms, all the rest. So it's, it's very hard to overcome that kind of loss in your family, in your community, and in your country. Uh, but let us pray. Let us pray that some good can come of it. They were observing the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. And people said that some good things, that was not a good thing, a war, but actually there, there was a path to some better situation following that. Maybe something will come here, but it's very hard to see, and it will take a while, I think. Do you think, I mean, we've seen President Biden call this Israeli government the most extreme ever, President Netanyahu, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been, you know, working on dismantling the court and I think, you know, isolating uh, the settlements. Mm -hmm. I want or you know, the Gaza Strip. Does all of that complicate the way that you and others in Washington can respond to this? No, I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the current government of, of Israel and all that you say is of concern. But none of it, none of it makes any difference when when a military force comes in and starts killing civilians and uh, kidnapping and the rest. So I, I don't see any relationship between the two. Do you think that we're, we're hearing tonight that there may be a move to link Ukraine aid and Israeli aid in Congress? What do you think about that? Well, I think that we have to do both. So I'm okay with linking it, but we don't really even have a, a functioning um, House of Representatives. And hopefully when we do, that will be facilitated. But the, um, there's strong support for Ukraine aid in the Congress of the United States. Bipartisan House and Senate, there's strong support for Israeli okay. assistance to Israel. One of the issues that we're all facing is the fate of Americans in Israel. Some are visitors, some are by uh, Israeli-American. They have by dual citizenship all of them of concern to us, not any more than any other Israeli, but nonetheless, that's our responsibility. Well, let's shift to what's happening in Washington yeah. or not happening. Um, I know, you're, as we said, you're going back uh, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there's one way or the other, there will eventually be a speaker. Yes. Um, how are you and your caucus thinking about that vote? Well, just so you know, I mean, I think it's important to note because the things people say, I think, no, that's not how it works. You have an election. Somebody wins. The party that wins selects, nominates, and chooses the Speaker of the House. So when I see on TV, they say the Democrats and eight Republicans took down the Speaker. No, the Republicans took down their Speaker. That I ne when I, all the times I was elected leader or speaker for 20 years, I never had one Republican vote, nor would it have been appropriate. It's up to the party to elect its leaders, whether it's the speaker or the leader, it's up to the party. So I haven't, the, 
I would be the last person to act, ask about what's going on in the Republican caucus. Um, <laughs> or second last, but right up there. <laughs> right up there. And uh, I just hope and pray that they can come to their own unity. But it is, it's very difficult because people say, well, why didn't you all vote for them and this or that? And we say, well, it is, that isn't our role. It's up to them to select, as I said. Now, we have our major differences. For example, right now we're having a fight with them about they want to cut 30% from the food for women, infant children, for, for, food, for food out of the mouths of babies. They want 80%, 70 to 80% for low-income ha- uh, heating assistance for mostly poor seniors in our country. The list goes on and on about the things that they want to cut. On the, they have Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all of it on the table. Why? Because they're concerned about the budget. They're concerned about feeding babies, but they weren't concerned when they gave a $2 trillion tax cut to the richest people in America. And it was it, with interest to the national debt, $2 trillion. 83% of it went to the top 1%, not creating any vitality in our, but they didn't worry about the national debt or the budget then. But in terms but of the- We are speaker. worried about it if you're feeding poor children. But in terms, so, yeah, go. I mean, what I'm hearing you say is this, that this is not Democrats' responsibility. Um, no. And it seems from what we've heard that Speaker, former Speaker McCarthy didn't offer Democrats anything, didn't come to the table to talk to try to save his speakership. So, I mean, what do you want to see done and what, what does it matter? Like, what can the Congress not do in this moment because there's no leadership? Well, we want them to have a, a speakership because you, the only thing the acting speaker can do is have a speaker's election. Nothing else. Didn't he take away now, your office, though? Hmm? Didn't he also take away your office? I don't care about that. What I care about is (laughs) taking food out of the mouths of babies. I had a ceremonial office where I had visitors, heads of state, heads of parliaments, and all the rest come through. If I don't have to do that, I could spend more time on politics. But nonetheless, we won't go into that. That's the most important thing we can do is win the next election. Absolutely positive. But... um, yeah, that, that housekeeping stuff, that's nothing. But, the, but the, what is something is that they have to be able to come together. And I hope that they will come together, elect their speaker, so that we can have the, the debate, and that the American people can see uh, the difference and try to find our common ground if that's possible. But it, we have our major differences. Yep. There's just no question about that. One thing we do, agree, two things we do agree on, one is the assistance to Israel in this terrible situation, and we've, all, we've had bipartisan, bicameral, House and Senate, Democrat and Republican support for Israel all the time, and then, of course, for the Ukraine as well. These are urgent matters. We need a speaker so that we can get that done. I can understand you, know, you don't want to wade into the Republican politics, but you have worked with you know, uh, a number of Republicans right, right as speaker. Um, Newt Gingrich, uh, John Boehner, who cried at the opening, uh, the re- unveiling of your portrait. Uh, you know, Ryan. Uh, cried so, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. 
But so I guess <laughs> what I'm getting at is there seem to be two, maybe three, if you include McCarthy, because he's left the door open to coming back, but Steve Scalise and uh, Jim Jordan, uh -huh. founder of the, the Freedom Caucus. You must have a, do you see a difference between them or McCarthy, the especially, three of them. Yeah, especially given Jordan's sort of involvement in pushing the big lie about the 2020 election and filing lawsuits and to undermine it. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing. I've been there a long time, and I have worked with Republicans. And quite frankly, coming from San Francisco, I mean, it's of all the titles, speaker, leader, whip, and all that, Nothing is more exciting than to walk on the floor and say, I speak for the people of San Francisco. That's, that's really exciting. And so we have our priorities, and we're the city of St. Francis, and we have our values and the rest. So when you go on the floor, you welcome the vitality of differences of opinion and debate, and hopefully you can find your common ground. And that had always been the case. I've admired so many of the Republicans that I have worked with in an earlier day, whether it was for the, uh, the environment, whether it was for human rights, so many issues where we work together. And I'm an appropriator, and on appropriations, it's very... Uh, as, as bipartisan as it could get, and same thing on intelligence, my other committee, a very bipartisan up until a certain point. When Newt Gingrich came along, he really, he had, it was a, a different day. He would give them uh, things to put in their phone, in their car when they'd go home, saying, call them traitors, call them treasonous. This is, it was a, that was the crossing the threshold. As bad as he was, these guys just put him to sh in the shade because they, it really is a different breed of cat. So the idea that you would go in, I always say to my own constituents, we don't have 218 San Francisco's. Uh, we're trying, but we don't have 218. <laughs> Even when we have 218 Democrats, there's differences of opinion. And again, our founders, our founders, they did this beautiful thing with the democracy. Fortunately, they made our founding document, the Constitution, amendable so that we could correct some of the compromises that they had to make. But it was about a democracy where you had the differences of opinion. And you debated, and you didn't resent a difference of opinion. You welcomed it, hoped to win the debate, at least get a high split on your side uh, for whatever solution there would be there. But nonetheless, win some, lose some, but always respect the people who sent each person there from their own districts, as I want them to respect my constituents. So, um, so, th so but this is, is very different now. now. Right. So if you're looking at a choice between a representative Scalise and a representative Jordan, from a Democratic perspective, it, does it matter which one is in charge of the House? That's a, up to the Republicans. It doesn't matter to you. It does up to the Republicans. No, <laughs> All right. Up to the Republicans. All right. Let me I'm ask, let me ask you a political I question. I told you who I preferred it wouldn't help that person. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, I told you what I thought of Jim Jordan. That would, that would be awful, too. <laughs> I mean. Do you have an unnamed preference? Hmm? Do you have an unnamed preference? Hakeem Jeffries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm determined he's going to be speaker as soon as possible. Yeah. Let me ask about this impact on democratic politics. Do you think the chaos happening right now, McCarthy's ousting, the infighting among Republicans, 
will help Democrats pick up seats, particularly all those purple districts in California that you guys are targeting? Well, in California, thanks to all of you, in California, when I first started to say, people said to me, you should run for leadership, and I didn't have any intention. Well, actually, I didn't even intend to run for Congress, but people said, you have to run, you have to run. Same thing for leadership. We had 26 Democrats and 26 Republicans. And I said, I was former chair of the party. I know how to do this. You just give me California. And that night, 2000, we had, went from 26-26 to 31-21 picked up 10 seats in California. And then we grew and we grew, and, and that was really largely how Democrats took back the House of Representatives. Thank you, California. Uh, but we also won in other parts of the country as well. Uh, the, uh, we're not about, oh, they're terrible. It's about what we present to the American people. This is about a vision. Why, why are we there? We're there for a better, uh, um, this president has been great. Joe Biden has been so visionary in how we advance an economy that is from the bottom up and the middle up in, not from the trickle down, 83% going to the top 1%. Yeah. In all of our legislation, whether it was a recovery, the uh, rescue package, whether it was a bipartisan infrastructure bill, we had 13 Republican votes, but it wasn't bipartisan. Uh, the um, uh, CHIPS Act, whether it's the PACT Act for our veterans, whether it was the IRA, the biggest investment in protecting our environment, saving our planet in the history, not only of our country, but of any country. All of it, though, he had with a system of equity, justice, inclusion, so that many more people could have access to the education, to the training, to the apprenticeships, to the decision-making as to what infrastructure they would like to see in their communities. And their percentages, he had a big percentage that should go to completely neighborhood-oriented, community-oriented decision-making in that. So this is about a vision of inclusion for our country. It's about knowledge of the issues that he has. He's been there even longer than I have, much longer than I have. <laughs> he's been there, he knows the issues. He's strategic, he's a legislator, a senator, a vice president, a president of the United States. A vision, knowledge, judgment, strategic thinker. But that's all up here, but in his heart, the most empathetic president you could find. He knows and he cares. And that's what we have to get across because it makes a difference to our democracy. So does the middle that class is the backbone of our democracy. I believe the middle class has a union label on it and, it, and our democratic priorities uh, make it stronger. But nonetheless, this president and our democratic Congress uh, have a lot to be proud of about. We had a vision, we had a plan. Vision without a plan, a fantasy. You, uh, vision with a plan, a victory. You described the president more or less as a mensch. Um, you described uh, a former speaker with a different M word, uh, moron. Um, no, and we I heard it, say, we heard it, no, we heard it. No, I didn't it. say it was a moron. I said what he said was moronic. <laughs> That was different. So what, where do you, as somebody who has, you are, have been called the, the, you know, the most effective speaker in modern times, 
Uh, you yourself have called yourself a master legislator. Yeah. Where do you think... <laughs> <laughs> I have. <laughs> where do you think the f former speaker fell short? Which one are we talking about? McCarthy. McCarthy. <laughs> McCarthy. Oh, the, the McCarthy. leading one. Well, I think that, uh, as I said at the time, it was becoming the incredibly shrinking speakership. The speakership has awesome responsibility and therefore power. But you have to be able to use it in a way that builds consensus so that you have sustainability for what you do. But in order to win the speakership, he gave away many of his, shall we say, avenues to success, including saying that one person could vacate the chair. And that, that was most unfortunate because, well, maybe there were eight. Maybe we, we said just make it more or make it the, speak, the um, majority leader or the majority whip or somebody who has, brings more heft to it. Uh, that, that's just process. The other hand, there was a thought that in our on our side of the aisle, he didn't keep his word in terms of the president, agreeing with the president on the uh, debt ceiling. This, we're gonna proceed in this way, we're gonna build our appropriations bills around this amount, and then he walked away from it. Uh, he said, what's his name, was responsible for January 6th, and then he kissed his ring. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff, you know, how can you rely on somebody because you, your word is the most important thing that you have in all of that and uh, situations change but then you have to acknowledge that and I think that uh, I say this carefully but I think that people didn't trust his word And that's it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers today are Christopher Beal and Jim Bennett. Special thanks as well to the KQED Live team, including Ryan Davis and Lance Gardner. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. We'll see you next time, everybody. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. 
Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.